Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Autism Grown Up Podcast. Today I'm going to be sharing my interview with Alicia Troutwine. Alicia is a lot of things. She's an autism advocate, writer, motivational speaker, and dedicated mom of four. Alicia's desire to advocate for autism comes from her own autism diagnosis, as well as of her three children, niece and brother, all on the spectrum. The Autism Grown Up podcast is just one of the many resources that Autism Grown Up offers. We are an online nonprofit organization focused on talking about growing up and navigating adulthood and providing the resources, strategies, and ideas, as well as support to help you along the way. Whether you're an autistic self-advocate at any age, a family member, professional, or someone who's an ally who wants to learn more, this is the place for you. Through this podcast, we share conversations and interviews, as well as strategies from our resource center about people and organizations that are doing work in this exact area. There's not a lot of resources and information when it comes to those teen years and adulthood, as well as even just shifting our focus towards thinking about the lifespan itself. So this is the place where we are hoping to fill in those gaps. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Regan, so you will be hearing my voice around these parts. I am a sibling. I have two brothers on the spectrum, Tyler and Tanner, and I've been in the autism field for well over a decade at this point, from doing direct care support, social work, uh, special education, and research in schools and in the community. So I've learned a lot along the way and have had so many conversations with folks just like the ones you're going to be listening to, and I wanted to share these conversations with you as well. So get ready, grab a cup of coffee or tea or your preferred beverage, and let's sit down together with today's guest. And now for a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Tyler and Tanner Regan, both of my brothers, and they're a major reason why this podcast and this nonprofit is even started. But I'm also happy to announce that we have a newly released feature of our donation center where you can sponsor episodes, resources, other components of our resource center on behalf of a loved one, of your adult on the spectrum, if you're a family member or a parent, or if you want to recognize a self-advocate in your community or other community stakeholders, this is a great feature to do so. And a great reminder of all of the many people who are affected and benefiting from them. And this is just a simple way to recognize the autistic adults in our lives. So now that I announced this, I think I'm pretty sure, and I know you all are gonna wanna jump on this. So go to autismgrownup.com support dash AGU to learn more. Or you can just go to our website, autismgrownup.com, and you'll see that tab, support AGU, donate is the other tab in there. Check that out because these spots are going to fill up really, really quickly. All right, back to the episode and a big thank you again to our first sponsor, Tyler and Tanner Regan. Did y'all hear that cliffhanger at the start? That's right. You heard absolutely right in the intro. Alicia is an autistic parent and mother of four children, three of which I said are on the autism spectrum, and she also has a niece and brother on the spectrum. So she definitely has a lot of personal experience and expertise on life at home, parenting, and so much more that comes in this territory. I'm going to read a little bit more from Alicia's bio so you'll have a sense of what she has done. Uh, She's done so much in the autism community, and... We get into so many aspects of this, but I highly encourage you all checking out her website, The Mom Kind, after listening to this episode, because she is an absolute wealth of knowledge. Uh, Alicia's life mission is to educate, educate on autism acceptance and change the world for future generations of autistic individuals. Her blog and website, The Mom Kind, is an amazing resource where she shares her journey and resources for other autism families. We discuss her own self-diagnosis, common issues that autistic women face as they receive their own diagnosis. It's a typically, I've heard, a very long journey and process that may include lots of misunderstanding, lots of misdiagnoses, 
and of course a whole lot of frustration that comes with that. We definitely need to be cognizant of these experiences that autistic women experience as they go along this journey. And then we also talk about life parenting as an autistic and parenting multiple children on the autism spectrum. We also, of course, you know, talk about current events and what life is like at home during the pandemic. Let's just jump right in, shall we? Uh, joining us today on the Autism Grown Up podcast is Alicia Troutwine. Hey, Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, so um, can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about you and your work in the autism community? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, much of my life has actually revolved around autism, um, even long before I even knew what autism was. And so uh, my younger brother, he's uh, about 11 years younger than me, uh, he was diagnosed PDD NOS at the age of 10. And around that same time, I was, you know, out of the house, but I'd been helping him all along uh, with my mom on that. And that same time, I actually started working with uh, autistic adults in the restaurant field, um, just kind of working alongside job coaches, helping them learn how to do each of their jobs. And so when I got into general management, I actually worked with the organizations that did the job coaches to then start bringing on more employees on the spectrum. And because they were honestly some of my best employees, so it made perfect sense to keep, you know, keep looking to help employ more individuals. Um, so yeah, so during that same time, I became a mom at the time of my three daughters. And our two youngest daughters had issues really early on by age of two. We had, uh, you know, different issues with speech, with mood, with behaviors but there was really never a set diagnosis. They went to several specialists along the way and no one diagnosed anybody. You know, they were just like, oh, here you go. Um, but when we had our son, that's kind of when things flipped upside down for us, but also started making sense. Because right away, I noticed that he had zero eye contact. And this is talking about a breastfed baby who's feeding once an hour even and no eye contact. And I remember just how my brother was at that age. And right away, it made me think, I, I think he's autistic. I bet he's autistic. And that's kind of strange to think of when you're a child, literally days old in the hospital. Um, but I was basing it off experience with my little brother at the same age. And so we kind of watched, there were red flags, but not enough to actual trigger, you know, going through the diagnosis process. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until he was 19 months old when he lost all of his words that we wound up, you know, getting put through the diagnosis process. And by 23 months, he had an autism diagnosis. Then just six weeks later, our daughter, uh, your youngest daughter wound up with her autism diagnosis from a different doctor. And so, you know, we just had everything happening at once. Then uh, about a year and a half later, my, our middle daughter, as well as our niece who are two months apart, receive their autism diagnosis, each one of them at age 11. And then I myself received my, my official diagnosis at 33. So it's been definitely a big journey around autism pretty much my entire life, just not all of it did I know it actually was on my, my autism. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so you are, it's safe to say, very familiar with the diagnosis process yeah. and how <laughs> it could look different individual to individual and like connecting those dots sometimes takes someone who is you just thinking back to your brother like that story of and looking at your son and seeing some similarities yeah. it kind of yeah is like a waterfall effect I've seen and um that was something that helped us for with both of my brothers was seeing um my older one of the two brothers Tyler's diagnosis or his symptoms really early on and seeing a lot of similarities but not quite so just like the general feeling of it with my youngest brother yeah and I've seen that a lot with um, a lot of families that especially with women getting diagnosed later on it typically is their child or children get diagnosed with autism and they're in the process and they're like oh wait that's how I was as a kid yeah and like you said that waterfall effect that like everybody like making sense and oh now this is where those pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would love to learn more uh, 
So how soon was your diagnosis after your children's? So my diagnosis was actually still a couple years after uh, my oldest with autism was diagnosed. And a lot of that came not from not knowing. I actually kind of knew I was like had a name for my entire life, basically, for about two years before I even received a diagnosis. So because we put the pieces together, even um, our doctor, our specialist that now all the kids see together, but even asking, like, have you ever been, you know, tested for autism? Just asking, she's saying like all these symptoms you say are very similar to how you were as a child. Mm-hmm. Kind of only makes sense to go through that, but finding someone to test an adult for autism is extremely hard. Then you add in insurances and all these different factors. It's really hard to find someone to diagnose you as an adult with autism. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So we have so many listeners on to this up ep- this podcast and definitely will from this episode probably get a lot from the question about to, I'm about to ask you is like they come to this realization of like they have this self-diagnosis and so what were, were kind of like the things that pushed you to go get your diagnosis and like how did you end up finding someone yeah so for me it was wanting confirmation because in my mind you know there's all you can go online and find the test that you start, the real test that you start, that doctors start with, on yeah. that self-test yourself. And, you know, when you're receiving scores that are, like, well above the, you know, you should definitely see a doctor, you know, you obviously, you kind of know. But for me, I wanted that confirmation. I wanted to know for sure because it didn't change anything, but it gave me my own, like, okay, this is why my childhood was like this. I wasn't just an odd, weird child, I was actually an autistic child just trying to do these things. You know, it also helped me learn, you know, like, okay, well, that's why I do this, or that's why I do that. It gave me that full confirmation of just knowing. I think that's why a lot of adults do that. And uh, after I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and so it's, a, you know, the whole process is just, you know, it's, it's definitely hard to find uh, doctors that do it. For us, I actually found, the reason we found it was because it was a general office that saw all sorts of behavioral health things that had diagnosed our youngest daughter originally. And they, I knew that they had this process going through to where they didn't just set you with a psychiatrist, they set you up with a counselor to start with to go through everything that you were having concerns with so that the counselor could then advise which doctor to see you and which and if you needed any counseling services and so the and it seems like the facilities that do multiple you know directions when it comes to behavioral health and psychology are the best ones mm-hmm. that will be more willing to help autistic adults mm-hmm. I could see that that has also been like such a common challenge and obstacle to like finding support like when even like I've talked with so many adults that like even before after they diagnosis they have so many other like co-occurring things going on that they do they don't feel like they can find someone who is like specialized to them and fully understands the holistic perspective of them as an individual yeah all of these different things combined yeah, because for me, it was, I had been diagnosed with so many different things over the years as well. Okay. And a lot of people were misdiagnosed because, well, there's, at the end of the day, they're still treating the symptoms. They're giving you the medication based off what your symptoms are, seeing what works for your body. So then you get kind of covered by those medicines to where doctors can't figure out what was the underlying issue. Okay. And that's been, that was always a major issue. But for me, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar which seems to be a common one now for girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of it just has to do with women on the spectrum and not not understanding how autism presents to girls is a lot of that reason. I was diagnosed with bipolar at like 13. I mean, I've had that diagnosis forever. Incredibly young to get it too. Yeah. And I had gone through, you know, the whole process, the same thing with my daughters, where they had this diagnosis all along because like, well, we have to have something on your chart for the insurances. So here's, the, this is what the mold you fit the best in. And so my actual diagnosis was autism with severe depression. Okay. And so 
it kind of shows you, okay, well, that's where, you know, the more up and behaviors that are kind of higher in depression, lower end. So that's why they went, obviously bipolar went way back when, but having the wrong diagnosis doesn't help. You know, it sets you up for failure in schooling with kids and all different areas to where if you don't take the time to actually figure out what works for you and you're just going by your diagnosis, then nothing makes sense. Right. It almost continues to set you up for continued failures and just not feeling like you know yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So a brief question, because I'm curious about this too. Why do you think so many autistic girls and women get misdiagnosed with misdiagnosed with bipolar? I think a lot of it is to do with the ups and downs of moods. You know, with autism, especially in girls, our, behavior, our moods kind of really cycle as well. You know, we can go through some really deep depressions, but then, and that's just kind of one of those comorbid disorders that goes along with it. So you got the deep depression, but when it comes to day to day, you know, when we're, you know, it's kind of like the zones of regulation situation. You know, you, you know, you can be in red going towards red from being both angry and extremely excited that you get to those points of extreme excitement, you get overwhelmed and then, you know, that kind of appears like a manic episode almost because you've gotten so excited and so happy that you wind up having a complete sensory overload. Mm-hmm. I and I think that has to do with it. The other thing I think is just really that there wasn't an understanding of what autism looked like in girls until the last couple of years. That's been a massive change, kind of shift of understanding girls present autism differently. So before now, it was like, okay, well, there's something going on with you, but we have no clue. And so bipolar just kind of seemed to fit the mold because they didn't understand, well, girls aren't going to be the ones looking into trains and the wheels. They're looking at spinning and collecting stuff in nature. You know, the topics are much different. Yes. And they were looking for the very boy-centered things that they knew something was going on with these girls, but had no idea that it was autism. Sure. Yeah, they're overlooking the special interests because they tend to be more mainstreamed or they're not as, like, obvious. Yeah, and it's more acceptable for a girl to have, I'll even give myself this example, 343 stuffed animals as a, you know, preteen. Like, but that's more acceptable because, like, oh, well, girls just collect dolls. They just collect stuffed animals. It's acceptable. And so... Because it's socially acceptable, they don't realize, well, no, that's probably a little bit of a thing, especially if they know the name of every single stuffed animal. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit more to it because I think all that's just so accepted in society, which is kind of good, but then it's bad because the girls obviously present so much different. Yeah, and then get overlooked as a result. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm hopeful for some continued shifts there <laughs> for the future. Absolutely. And so... You occupy a lot of roles, yeah. <laughs> sibling, parent, family member, and I also want to hear more about uh, the mom kind and like how yeah. did that get started? Let's get into that. Yeah, so after our youngest two obviously received her diagnosis six weeks apart, I was, it was a whirlwind. I mean, it really was because, you know, every parent and caregiver goes through the cycles of grief when you have you know, an autism diagnosis, mm-hmm. and a lot of other special diagnoses, special needs diagnosis as well, but, you know, I was going from this, like, back and forth feeling of, okay, my son's autistic, I'm happy we got the diagnosis, to the, what did I, you know, what do you do wrong, what did we miss, why didn't I know, or just all these different feelings to where my daughter, it was actually almost an excitement feeling. Because she was eight. We had been going through doctors for six years looking for a diagnosis. So by the time we got her diagnosis, it was like, okay, I'm happy we finally know what's going on so I can make the schools do what they need to do to help her later. And so I pretty much left the diagnosis, you know, the doctor's office with that paper saying this is her diagnosis and went straight to school like, here, this is what's going on. We're going to change stuff now. And so I had all these like mixed emotions. But, you know, as I kind of settled down, I realized like, well, what? What is it like to parent, you know, multiples on the spectrum? You know, because at the time, you know, I didn't realize my mom had done that. <laughs> you know, I didn't have my own diagnosis. And again, we were quite significantly age difference, too. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to know, like, from other parents' perspective. Just, yes, I have been doing it, but I had been doing it without knowing the diagnosis. Now I know the diagnosis. I'm going to be learning all the things they need. What's it like? And at the time, are you talking, like, okay, five years ago now? There wasn't much 
you know, there was, there's very little on multiples. There's a couple, uh, actually fathers who were sharing kind of their story with having multiple spectrums, that, but that was it. And then when I looked up girls in the spectrum, there was nothing. I found one individual web page. So you're thinking all of Google, I found one page on the internet that had information on girls on the spectrum. And it was a woman listing all of like how autism presented in her daughter and the things that she thought might be related to the autism. So things like spinning around in circles a lot, you know, twirling of the, you know, the, her hair and things like that. And that's all I found. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Like there's nothing. And I can't be the only parent with multiples. I can't be the only parent looking for information. And so at that point, that's why I decided just to start sharing our story. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be studying and learning everything I can. We're just going to start sharing stuff as I, you know, as we found it. And yeah, a lot of things from there though became, you know, I realized a lot of parents were looking for information in a way that they could understand it. Mm -hmm. And they were getting some information from doctors, from the internet, but it was all with the medical jargon. And as a parent, that's a lot to take on, especially when you have all these different terms. You know, we changed from having, you know, one way of diagnosing to now we're at the levels of autism as opposed to all these individual names for it. Mm -hmm. The spectrum is why. And parents are trying to figure it out and they have no clue what they're looking at. And so a lot of people were asking, can you explain this in like everyday terms for me? And so that's where the kind of shift went to where it went from just sharing our story to, okay, this is this topic and this is what it means in language that you can understand. Mm -hmm. So you eventually became like a resource. I mean, you were a resource in a way that somebody else who is looking for something like that yeah. on the internet anywhere, but also kind of helping them piece together what are the things that everyone is telling me because they're using all of these different terms related to their field. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I've always been the type when I've written, I've always liked writing. That was always my thing. And so I've always tried to be very, just this is the information and try to minimize my opinion in it. Because the reality is every child is different and what they need can be very different child to child, even within the same household. So the therapies my son needs, my daughter might not need, and vice versa. And so I try to give as much information that's just, here is the straightforward information for you to digest. And when my opinion's in there, I always say like, hey, this is just my opinion. You know, it's kind of like almost I announce it, like here's my opinion part, but here's the facts. And that way parents can kind of know that, hey, it's okay to look into different therapies and it's okay that your therapy the one that works for your child is different than the one that works from so-and-so's child those are so critical points to know along that parenting journey oh, absolutely. I feel like you need to know all of the answers all at once and you want to be doing the right thing because you want to be helping your child yeah absolutely and it's a struggle i mean because you don't because there's no set answer and I think that's the hardest part for parents getting into it. They're like, okay, well, what's the set answer? Well, the set answer is trial and error. <laughs> exactly. It's a little more gray. Yeah. Which can be really, yeah, like the trial and error, experimenting, trying new things out and celebrating any and all wins. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the other big thing, like you mentioned, it's celebrating the wins is that, you know, kind of we worked on building a community that understood that what's a win for our children is not the same as a win for our, you know, neurotypical children. You know, your child saying mom for the first time at the age of four or five, that's a huge deal. You know, yeah. most people are like, oh, it's exciting when your kid says mom, but you don't realize how big a deal it is until you go through years and years of therapy for them to finally say it. Mm -hmm. And so having a community that understands that, that that's a big win is so important. Definitely. So from the start of your blog, then what has things looked like? How have things shaped over time? Yeah, you know, a big thing that's changed is where my resources came from. Um, so originally it was, okay, here's the books, here's the, the you know, websites, and I'm taking the information and translating it, to then I started working with you know, talking to doctors that are, you know, in charge of creating different therapy programs. Yeah, I've had people like that, or um, the, 
lawyer who wound up doing all the special advocacy uh, books and everything. I've had I've gone to his classes and spoke with him in person. And different specialists that I wound up talking to, as well as to other autistic adults who some maybe got diagnosed as a child, some late life diagnosis. And it's more of a combination of all those different areas that have been like, okay, well, this is, you know, more topics needed because the topics that I originally thought might need to be covered, yeah, they needed cover, but there was more that needed to be covered that people kind of told me my questions, where they come to me and ask, like, hey, do you know this answer? I'd be like, you know what, I don't know, let's, let's research it, let's look it up. And so it's definitely changed on the fact of who it's aimed towards. So it went from justice is sharing our journey to this is helping parents of autistic children. It's also helping autistic adults, as well as like teachers and therapists that also come to this website to kind of see how parents are taking information that they're giving out. That's wonderful. And then have you grown it? You said you have a community. So I guess everyone's like, how do you, how do you, how have you convened people on your site? Yeah, so it's been kind of kind of everywhere because everybody has their own platform they're comfortable with. I know, you know, as a woman in my late 30s, like I, I'm big Facebook because that was like where I used to always go. We kind of grew up with Facebook as it kind of took off. So like there's places on Facebook that people like and then others who are like, oh, no, I like Twitter or Instagram. Mm. And so, you know, I try to be a little bit on each platform uh, and different series that I'm able to kind of connect with each people, you know, each group of people. Um, so we have people that email in questions that you're know, comment on the comment parts of the website. Uh, others that, you know, it's direct messages through Instagram and or just commenting on like posts because that's where we share a lot of our behind the scenes. This is our life is on Instagram. Um, so people can see more like, okay, this is who they are as people. This is just giving me advice, you know, yeah. type thing. And so it's been kind of like a connection of everybody along those ways, um, which has been pretty cool because then I get so many different questions. I've actually, some of the cooler ones have been people from other countries that don't have the resources at all. They don't have autism centers. If they get a diagnosis for the child, it's almost taboo. Mm -hmm. And so working with them to find ways that they can implement things that we would do just based on, say, a therapist telling us or just general supports that we have, you know, in our communities to try to like help them turn that into what they can do at home and how they can be advocates too, because it's a completely different world for them. Yeah. And that's probably been some of the coolest ones. Like I never thought I would be reaching people in countries that I barely remembered were on a map. Yeah. Or on the globe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's been crazy. So. That's amazing. That's just so eye-opening, too, to hear about, about how people's experiences are, like, across the globe. Yeah, it's so different. Yeah, it's completely different, you know, even from countries that are all, you know, relatively equal, what we think is equal. You know, you've got the UK, you've got the United States, Canada. You think of these bigger countries, and even within those countries, it's still completely different. Yeah. And then you add countries that are second, considered second and third world, and it's eye-opening just the amount of difference there is. And the parents that think that you have the internet cage, you know, they might have to go to an internet cafe to even reach people. And they're like, okay, who can I reach out to? And so I've had parents reach out to me through that because they felt a connection with, you know, even my Instagram page. Just, okay, this is her story. She's got multiples. Just from parent to parent, not anything else. Just parent to parent. Hey, I have zero supports here. I don't know what I do, but I want to help my child. And they're reaching out in those ways, which yeah. to think about, like, we struggle enough with getting resources here. Imagine not having a center at all, you know, mm -hmm. that gives therapies or anything like that. You might just have a general doctor that says, yeah, this is autism. But then you go home and your entire family has this, like, view on autism as, like, you know, demon possession almost, you know, type level taboo. And so that's how do you change those perceptive, you know, perceptions of autism, you know, when you are literally doing this by yourself in your country. Right. Yeah. All of those cultural definitions of the vary and it may lead to some isolation, but in other communities, maybe some sense of community with each other, they're able to find each other. But yeah, the same thing for us too. It's been amazing to see just by being on all of the platforms. It can feel like you're spreading yourself so thin by <laughs> doing everything. 
everything, but then you have more reach. Like that's been, I think the most rewarding part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. when you, I love that you said that you kind of have tailored different aspects of your content and your life to different platforms. Like with Instagram, you share a little bit more behind the scenes, a little bit more about you as a family. Uh, what were like some of the decisions behind that? And what have you shared across other platforms or change it up? A lot of it was learning about the platforms themselves. As funny as that sounds, you know, because I, I, my kids make me feel old because I have a 17 year old that's like, you know, TikTok and all these things. I'm like, honey, I have no idea. I'm not even trying that. I'm already spread thin. Um, but it was learning more about the platforms, what each platform people were using it for. Yeah, because I started with just Facebook. I mean, I went ahead and like, I claimed on my name on every platform. But Facebook was where I really started because like, I know what Facebook's like. I know what groups are like and things like that. But then I realized like I wasn't always getting the reach I needed because just how popular, you know, the algorithms work. Mm. And so I wasn't getting the reach. I'm like, okay, well, I need to kind of learn about each one. I learned Instagram was where it did feel like more beside behind the scenes. And what's really neat about Instagram I've learned is, you know, You've got the initial behind the scenes. It's more your tailored, okay, here's a whole comment for conversations, but then you have the stories. And the stories are like your complete behind the scenes. Like, you know, just sometimes it's just sharing, hey, this is how I made that photo. You know, because mm -hmm. people, it's, you know, we're also human. We all have different likes. And it's not just about autism, even for, you know, autistic individuals or parents, there's other aspects of life that they want to know about. Exactly. And, but yeah, so you have that. And then Twitter, wound up, it's more of like, just your quick dialogue. You know, it's very, you know, tweets really don't last very long. They, I think they've said it, they last typically 14 minutes before people don't find them again unless they go to your page. And yeah, so it's learning, okay, well, what are the conversations to have here? How do I reach people? What do I do? You know, I'm like learning that, okay, those are the people that want like, almost a sense hot topic. Yes. Like, this is what's going on right now. What's your opinion of it type things. And that was also where I learned to reach more autistic adults because that seems to be a platform everybody really navigates towards to have those quick conversations which is actually very you know comforting that it doesn't have to be this long drawn out conversation it could be just a here's my opinion here's my response to my opinion and that's it and so i you know i reach more autistic adults there and as i realized like, okay this is where the adults with autism are this is where the parents are this is where kind of the middle ground hangs out Yes. And you got to learn how to do all that. And yeah, you do have to stretch yourself thin. I mean, there's no if to it, but it's rewarding to do it. Definitely. I like that. That's such a great point, too. Um, I think TikTok is also like a spot where a lot of autistic teens and adults yeah. are like going towards making videos. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. I've seen my daughter. So, and like I said, I feel so old when I say this like this. My daughters have shown me, uh, you know, the different things that they have on TikTok. And, you know, there has been some negative when it comes to autism and TikTok. Yeah. But there's also some really positive ones that are so cute. I mean, I, I honestly think they're cute in a sense because they're just sharing like, oh, this is my tick. My tick's cool. Uh, you know, I'm going to dye my hair in these five colors today. And it's just a fun little way to be creative. Mm -hmm. And I love it. And I think I'll eventually get there. Or I may just have my 17, convince my 17-year-old to do it for me. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, just tell me what I should do. And then just have me do it, you know, like. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen that where it's a lot of like, that's where the teens are. And they're learning to like, okay, that's where I can be creative. Like, yeah, and express awesome. themselves. So cool. Yeah. As I think about um, autistic parents, have you started shifting your blog and site and community, all social media to be thinking about that perspective and sharing your experience? Yeah, and that's kind of where my, you know, kind of like goals are going to be going forward. Um, cool. Just as the kids are getting into school and I can focus more on making videos and things like that because, you know, realistically, even though I love the type, I know that for, you know, autistic parents, they need stuff that's in quick snippets. Yeah. That's audio or video. And so, I mean, obviously I'll still wind up trying translating it to like a page as well, but my goal is going to be sharing stuff via YouTube and podcasts again, that's focused on what you can do to support yourself. Because mm -hmm. even without an autism diagnosis, parents of children on the spectrum and other special needs already struggle with self-care. 
I mean, that's just, you know, people get caregiver burnout so often, they get overwhelmed with them. Then you're balancing your own sensory needs, you know, knowing when to, you need to use headphones yourself or you need sensory toys and, you know, understand those things yourself. I mean, I have to explain to my kids everywhere often. I apologize. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I was just so, I had too much sensory overload and it was too much noise. And I have to apologize to my own kids. Like, I'm sorry. But it's kind of nice because then my kids do see, okay, this is the example from an autistic adult. They still need supports. They also know how to apologize if they've upset somebody. You know, they also know how to say, hey, I'm sorry, but mom needs five minutes by herself. You're going to have to sit down with electronic even. Just entertain yourself for five minutes so that I can do this. And sometimes it's just accepting that you need to have time to yourself. And so that's going to be a big thing is finding little ways to help parents, autistic parents, learn how to do that in a way that kind of works for their family, which that's always a little bit different for every family because it's whether you might be an autistic parent with, you know, children with no diagnosis, or you might be like us and have, you know, I have three children on the spectrum and even our 17 year old, she has quite a list of diagnoses with anxiety and things like that. So we all have our, our own needs. My husband has ADHD as well. So it's like, we all have our own individual needs and that sometimes, you know, sometimes they complement each other because we understand, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's conflicting. And, yeah. you know, my son might need to bounce around and slam into the couch and scream and to do stuff to get his sensory overload while I might need it completely quiet. And how do you work with both of those at the same time? And so it's learning those little things that I know a lot of parents are needing help with. They do. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for it to come any of the things you create yeah. towards this to come out. It's going to be so valuable, especially, I mean, you also mentioned parents who are not autistic, but may have some sensory challenges or related neurodiversity challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of parents now received an ADHD diagnosis or ADD diagnosed back when they were kids, when ADD was starting to be understood more. And so they may have had that, so they may not have an autism diagnosis, but ADHD and autism overlap dramatically. They do. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the whole anxiety depression overlap. It's the same thing with ADHD and autism, where there's a lot that overlaps, and so each parent might have their own needs, even if it's not autism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and being able to like show and model those coping skills and self advocacy and like telling their child that they do need a moment could be really beneficial in a lot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And like so the advocacy, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of funny, you know, my, our youngest daughter, I feel like she's the biggest advocate. It's so cute and I love it. Um, she's 12 now, but she just embraces herself. And in a way, and in a way that I never did as a child because I didn't know my diagnosis. And so at that time, and so with her, she knows her diagnosis. She knows why she is the way she is. And she accepts that and she's happy with it. Even though she still deals with some of the same struggles I did, she deals with bullying, she deals with learning to how to, you know, maintain her friendships. She does it now in a way that's just so, you know, almost flamboyant. It's so cute, you know, like she's, and she wants to wear five different color things that absolutely don't match. And there's spots here and stripes there. And she wears her cat ears daily. That's just like a thing. And before she popular, right, even. And so she wears cat ears to school every single day for like the last three years and before like there became a like a fad this last year but even mm -hmm. before that she was keeping we kept cat ears that we found like at halloween and we just keep a stock of them because she loves she loves cats she wants to wear cat ears she loves animals and she's just so like she will tell teachers like i i need a break i can't do this right now i'm i'm stressed you know, I, I need quiet downtime. I need to walk. I need to walk. I need a little bit of water. Like she will advocate for herself in ways that I wish us adults could know how to advocate at times. Me too. That's so and, impressive. Yeah. And so like, but they, she's a lot of that. She learned from me as an adult doing mm -hmm. different things. You know, it's, she has an amazing relationship with her special education teacher she had for the last two years to the point that they'll have a relationship long past schooling, you know, type thing, which is amazing. But yeah. her teacher would reach out to me and we'd be laughing. We'd be talking about different things that were going on with my website that I didn't tell her that my daughter would tell her. And my daughter was so proud of me oh my 
gosh. Which was the sweetest thing to hear because that's, I mean, yeah. obviously you want your kids to be kind of proud of you, but you don't know it. And we had this like circle of conversation to where I'd find out like she was proud of me. And I'm like, wow. Like I didn't necessarily teach her that. I just showed her by example. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't me telling her, oh, you need to go say this, you need to go do this. It was just saying, you know, being very specific in our household. Okay, you know, when you do, when you have this issue, you do X, Y, and Z. You know, and having those things. So having that, you know, leading by example thing makes a huge difference for kids. Even so, even if you're not autistic or you don't have any needs, you know, as a parent, you still need time to yourself. And as long as say, hey, you know what? I'm really tired and I think I'm going to be cranky if I talk to you right now. I need a break. I will come back and get you when I'm done calming down. And kids seeing that from even a neurotypical parent will be very helpful. Definitely. Just like clarity in and of itself that you said too, that's specific. (laughs) Being specific with like that language and showing modeling that. Absolutely. I love it. So you've mentioned uh, that you have, uh, along the way, as you turn your blog into more of like um, translating resources and reaching out to people who are kind of specialists across special needs and overall, what are some resources that you turn to today and that you would recommend for others? So a lot of the resources, you know, it's one, it's learning from, you know, everybody, kind of being, understanding that everything's a little opinion-based and not everything works. So, you know, learning to kind of look everywhere. But some of the main, like, actual resources that even as an adult I still wind up using is, you know, using the visual schedules, whether that's by pictures or even by just writing it out. This is the time you do this and those routines. Keeping a routine is completely ideal. And then social stories, um, which social stories, you know, as of now have been very um, picture-based, which is good for kids. But one thing that I want to start working on as well, kind of video-wise, I think having videos really helps a lot more. Um, kids are so used to, and adults too now, that are so used to like, oh, I'm just going to log into YouTube and search this. And so having that kind of translate from just, oh, here's a paper book we printed, to video, um, I think will be a big help. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what do you see that looking like? Someone reading it aloud on the video or just like flipping through it? Yeah, I think a little both. I think some of it's going to be like, you know, okay, here's the actual, this is just with our PDF and that's just putting voice to what the words are so a kid can kind of see it themselves because, you know, my son's five and he searches YouTube. He doesn't type. I mean, he knows some words, but he does the voice search. He hits the little microphone, he knows to hit that, he asks his question or says the keyword, it searches it for him so he finds it. So mm-hmm. if there are things he's looking for even, it's kind of nice to be able to have those things like, okay, this is how, you know, what going to school looks like. Um, but other ones I think that are really important that I started working with a couple of different um, tech companies that are doing some amazing things. Um, I have one that's working with Google Glasses to help show things um, to kids. And so uh, things like that, where we can be like, okay, this is what this restaurant looks like. This is where the, you know, the ideally where they keep a trash can. This is where the bathroom is. This is what happens when we go through, uh, you know, the order process and things like that so that we, <laughs> and so yeah, things like that so that they can see like, this is the process or this is what Walmart's like. You know, because even as adults, we don't like change. I want to know, like, when I went on, I went on my first flight uh, about two years ago now, and I heard my best friend. I was like, "Hey, by the way, um, I'm going to this conference, and you're going to come with me." Because my husband now used to have to be with the kids, mm-hmm. and so we would. You know, I was like, "Okay, well, what all is the process of getting into the airplane? What, what all do we have to do ahead of time?" Because I was stressing out, not knowing. Even as an adult, I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? Well, what happens in this? What time do I need to be there? And then, okay, what's the actual plane? Like, I understand the ear popping thing, but when do I start chewing gum? Because you might not be writing with somebody that knows to tell you those things. Or you might be by yourself as an adult. So, like, just little things like that, whether it's by pictures, it's by voice, by complete video, just more visual with the form that people are actually going towards instead of just, here's the printable for our child. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I really like that. Like it, it feels almost interactive in a way, but also yeah. meeting the person where they are with video because it is a lot more interactive in person. Yeah. Than having the sheet of paper with you. Although that's sometimes nice too. Like I'll use a wiki how for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Wiki hows are always fun because it's like, yeah. oh, here's the picture, here's the words, it's all like, yeah, I actually love wiki how. <laughs> it's the yeah, perfect place for adulting. Exactly. But yeah, so yeah, just using those different visuals, just as funny as it sounds, routine and schedule, it's all boils down to that. I mean, mm-hmm. I wound up, you know, we've had everything's been so stable in our homes with everybody's, you know, behaviors. I mean, obviously, everybody has meltdowns a couple times a day. Yeah, because things don't always work perfect, but it's been considerably calm in our house since COVID happened. And, and so, you know, I, we, I didn't even think about it. You know, my husband kind of double booked things and I have to take all of our daughters to, uh, different individual small groups for church because they're not meeting as a whole yet. They're meeting in smaller groups to control the size. And in the process, I was like, okay, well, we'll take, you know, the last drop-off is near our church. I'll just take our son over to the playground. He loves the playground church, so we'll go there. When we got done, he was hungry. It's like, well, there's no drive-ins. We'll stop in Walgreens. That's a kind of a familiar place. We go into Walgreens. Well, it's complete overlaw because he didn't understand, and I didn't realize it, that the mask is not only from getting from the car to the, into the store, and the mask has to stay on throughout the store. And then, you know, it was like, oh, but look, we walked in. Well, he hasn't been in the store in six months. So there's all these choices now that he normally doesn't have for drinks. It's like, you know, even though I sent her down, okay, these are the choices you have. Mm-hmm. He still visually could see all these other choices. And so it led to a meltdown that was really severe. And I felt awful afterwards. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I didn't think about that. But everything was so controlled because, of, you know, we're at home. So we can control, okay, this is when we get up, this is when we eat lunch, this is when dinner is, this is our calm down time. Here's your space to go to when you're calm. And it never changed for six months, but it shows just how significant routine and schedule is. Definitely. I think that's an, a perfect example of that and how, yeah, when we start thinking about communities reopening again, we'll have to have that in the back of our mind. Yeah, that this has been so long since they've been able to go out whether it's with the mask or not, you know, they haven't really gone out because, well, we don't want to take them out into an unpredictable environment more than we have to. They don't want to go out. I mean, my son didn't want to go out 99% of the time. He's like, do I have to wear a mask? Yes. No. Um, no. <laughs> and he's like, I don't, I didn't, none of them, even my older kids, they're like very rarely want to go out because they know that everything's changed. Mm-hmm. So they're happy in their environment where they're at. They talk to their friends on the phone and, you know, video chats and it's controlled and they don't have to worry about it as much. So yeah, going back into the world as things change, it's going to be a big transition for everyone for sure. Definitely. Definitely something to think about for everyone listening to and how we can support each other there. Um, and then as we also look ahead, um, in times like these, we definitely need some things to be celebrating. So what are you excited about and looking forward to in the coming months? Yeah, so a big thing has been just, you know, that change and what, what, what kind of the resources I'll be supplying. Um, just as we've kind of all gone, gone through this completely different world that we're living in now, definitely opened my eyes to see the different resources that we need now. That, mm-hmm. That's completely different. The other big thing, um, I've been trying to work on it. I've been so excited to find out different resources that parents can use to know that this is what our child had legally has rights to during COVID um, for special education. Because there are things that are there. So I'll be sharing a blog post here coming up soon just to show them, hey, your kids still need to get special education resources. And these accommodations have to be, you know, put into their IEP. Yes. And different things like that. So since I figured out that kind of information I'll be sharing that, because I know there's so many parents wondering and worrying about, okay, well, what does virtual learning look like for my child who typically gets therapy in school and a space to walk away and, you know, all these different concerns going back to school, um, that information there. And then I will be trying to figure out new ways to go out speaking engagements Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's going to be probably YouTube, just open, you know, this is, okay, well, this was a topic I was going to cover uh, in person, so let's do it online now. Um, so I think that'll be fun, you know, just kind of yeah. speaking over 
to video a lot more. Um, yeah, it's just definitely going to be a lot of information coming out in the next year or so, just because that's where everything's needed. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to all of those. And then if this episode comes out in time for a couple of that blog specifically, I'll make sure to Yay. So uh, my last question for you, how can people listening to this episode get in touch with you? So pretty much the main four uh, social medias, you know, you've got um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, even, oh, yeah. uh, even say you know, that one. type in at the mom kind. And I, you'll find me on all of those. Um, on our website, I also have a contact button that people can just email me directly. So if there's a question, say a topic that's not covered, um, you can ask me to cover it um, because there's topics that are important to people. And if chances are, if it's important to one person, it's important to multiple people. If you're asking that question, there's other people asking it too. So it needs to be covered. Um, and sometimes I've had parents just reach out to ask me a specific question, how to help with their child. And I love it because I don't mind helping. Um, so definitely reach out on any of those, like the direct messages on each of the, you know, platforms and the contact form on our page, you know, to everything. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alicia. This was so fun to talk with you today. Absolutely. It was a blast. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can check out everything that we talked about in our show notes on the Autism Grown Up website, autismgrownup.com. And this is also linked in the description of this episode, wherever you are listening today. And this leads me to a quick ask. So if you found value in this episode and know that others would really also benefit from listening to this podcast, please leave us a rating and review. This really truly helps others in the autism community be able to find us easier online. You can also take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast on your phone or whatever device and tag us at Autism Grown Up. That's pretty much our tag everywhere. And that also helps get the word out about the show in a big way. So thank you ahead of time for doing that. And thank you so much again for listening to another episode of the AGU podcast. I'm looking forward to our episode next week and I'll chat with y'all soon. This episode was brought to you by our supporters. We are a nonprofit and we would love you to become a supporter yourself of future episodes like this one. Like I mentioned, this is just one of the many resources we offer in our resource center. And we're working towards a fundraising goal on expanding our resource center. And we need your help. Go to autismgrownup.com support dash AGU to learn more and help us keep the show and our resource center running.